Atlanta. Uh, I met her at church. I almost became a stalker. Uh, I was preaching in Tennessee, <clears throat> and through an unusual set of circumstances, uh, we, we, uh, I wound up pastoring a church interim for nine months. I'd fly every weekend to Nashville, Tennessee. So that's how I got to know her and uh, convinced her to marry me. And I told her, if you'll marry me, I'll take you places. So, uh, so I've tried to live up to that. And she's going to come this morning and read the text. Would you welcome my beautiful wife, uh, Vanessa, here? Thank you so much. Good morning. Um, I'm going to read out of 2 Samuel 23, 11 through 12. And after him was Shema, the son of Agi, the Hararite, and the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled, fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. You will be blessed with this message. Thank you. Father, we just ask now that your Holy Spirit just be present in front of every lady, every gentleman, all of us. We just step back knowing that in a matter of just five minutes, you could do more than we could in five years in our own flesh do. May you speak to us and transform us and do a remarkable work. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. When I was a senior in college, I was memorizing scripture. My pastor had a big emphasis on that, and so I happened to be memorizing the book of James. And I came to that passage that says, every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. And my pastor just said this publicly, not to me personally. He said, when you memorize scripture, go somewhere where you are alone and say it out loud. Make sure you're alone. People think you're crazy. And so I was on campus and I found this location I thought was alone. It was over near the women's dorm and I was by myself and it was during the daytime when people were in classes. So I just said it out loud, just like I said there. I did not know that on the other side of the wall was a young woman named Sharon and her fiance, well, her boyfriend named Robert had just asked her to marry him. And, and she said, I need to pray about this. And so she was on her knees praying, God, do you want me to marry Robert? I need you to speak to me. This is important. He's going in the ministry, and I'm choosing my pastor for the rest of my life, you know. And, I, and speak to me audibly. She literally said that. At that precise time, I said, every good gift. And, every, and it reverberated through the vent system in the dorm. And she heard every good gift, you know, perfect gift. And she thought it was God. And she jumped up and said, it's the Lord, it's the Lord, it's the Lord. And she ran through the dorm telling everybody about it. And, of course, it didn't help that, uh, it did help that Robert was tall, dark, and handsome also, you know. And they, they've been married ever since and had three boys. They should have named one of them after me, you know. But uh, later she found out it was just Charles. But it's amazing that sometimes the supernatural moments when you're proclaiming God's word 
The presence of God does something in a person's life that goes beyond us. Does that make sense? And so this passage deals, first of all, it helps us to understand the ancient world. Someone said preaching is speaking between two worlds, the ancient world and the modern world. So I just want to take a moment and cover the ancient world just for a moment so some of this makes sense. They are against the Philistines. And it's amazing that the Philistines are mentioned in the Bible 242 times. That's at least 100 or more, 200 more than I would have suspected. They're all throughout the Bible. And originally they lived on the island of Crete and they decided to leave the island of Crete. And they tried to conquer the nation of Egypt. Rameses, the great's grandson, drove them out of there. And they wound up settling right between Egypt and Israel. And that's where we develop our word Palestine. When the Greeks would come along, they'd see the Philistines. And the Greek word for the land of the Philistines is Palestine. And that's where that word comes from. And so they had developed iron weapons. They probably got it from the Celtic people. Virtually everybody in this room, if you have any European blood in you whatsoever, and most of us do, uh, the Celtic people, we think, developed the iron weapons, and the Greeks and the Philistines developed it from them being seafaring people. And so they had an edge over the Israelites. In fact, the Bible says that the Israelites, to even sharpen their tools, twice a year had to go to the Philistines and pay them a third of a shekel. And that is the equivalent of one month's salary. Two months of their salary went to the Philistines to determine how sharp they could be. And I always say we should never let the world determine how sharp we are going to be. And so it's very interesting, this narrative that goes on here. And in this, Shammah gives the name of his father, Agi, and it makes this little comment. These are these verses you sort of, your eye bounces over till you get to a real scripture. And he says he's a Hararite. How many of you would just bounce right over there? What is a Hararite? Well, it just means a mountain, the mountain people. I grew up in the northern part of the Carolinas and along the border, and we could see the mountains off in the distance. So frequently, in a matter of 30, 40 minutes, I could be up in the mountains, and you would ask people, where are you from? They would be so rural, there would not be a town. They would just say, we're just mountain folks. That's the idea. It's just rural. And agi means fugitive. And most likely, they had fled from the Philistines up into the mountains because it was a hard time that the Philistines were doing to him. And Shammah's name of all things means shameful, fearful. Now, how many of you would agree if your father is a fugitive living in the rural area and your name means shameful or fearful, that's a pretty rough start for a little boy? And so they were accustomed to the Philistines coming to their location, particularly in the spring of the year or the harvest time, and taking something that did not belong to them. And here he had a field, and this particular field was called a lentil field, or as we would say in common English, a pea patch. 
And it may not have been much. It might not have been much bigger than this room. Who knows the size of it? But the fact was it belonged to him, and it was for the provision of his family. And the Bible makes this comment. It says he stationed himself in the middle of the field. Now I want to ask you something. Can you say that out loud, in the middle of the field? Not on the outskirts or the surrounding border ready to run, but in the middle. And that would make more sense if this afternoon you read the whole passage because you'd see that whenever the Philistines came, it says that the Israelites ran. But this man did not. He came and he stood in the middle. What a contrast of those who fled and run. And the Bible says that God gave the victory. And it's no matter how great the battle and how much the effort and the courage, we never lose sight that God is also a part of it. And I love the King James that we just read, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Can you say wrought? <laughs> we don't say that too often. The Lord brought it, but in King James, they wrought it. Now, that's the ancient world. And I like talking about the nasty now and now. But you live where I live in the nasty now and now. We, not in the sweet by and by, but the nasty now and now. We have to have something to get through this week. And so if preaching is speaking between two worlds, I want to speak very quickly to your present world that you live in the 21st century. And that is that the world in which we live for the Christian life is not a playground, it's a battlefield. The scripture says we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, the powers, the rulers. Our physical eye cannot see them, but they are there. As much as I can't see the TV wave or the radio wave or the microwave, sound waves, and many other things that we know exist, they are there. And the Bible says, be vigilant for your adversary, like a lion, like a roaring lion, seeks to devour those. I read a story of a gen gentleman who survived World War II. He was a German pastor. And we know of Adolf Hitler persecuting the Jews, but it may surprise you he persecuted Christianity as well and imprisoned many pastors and had them executed. And Martin Nomeller was one of those that was captured. And later, he survived the concentration camps. And he wrote this. He said, when the Nazis first came and took the communist, I didn't say a word because I thought, I'm not a communist. Then they came and took the trade unionist. And I thought, well, I don't belong to a union, so I didn't say anything. Then they took the Jews, and I didn't say a word because I'm not Jewish. And then they came and took me, a Christian pastor, and nobody said anything because there were no more left to say anything. And his point was that courage demands that we find our location in the moment of time and space where we live and live a courageous life. 
It's interesting that G.K. Chesterton gave this definition of courage, and I love it because it's so true. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, but it takes the form of a readiness to die. Shammah desired to live so much, and that nutrients that existed in those lentils belonged to his family and his children. He was ready to die for his family. And he went into the middle of the field. As I became curious about this passage, I became curious about the word middle in the Old Testament. And so I just studied that word. Uh, it is the word ta, ta, eek is how you pronounce it. And it's very interesting because many times it's used of God being in the middle of situations. And so I'd like to give a litany of them very rapidly to you in the Old Testament. The tree of life says he put the tree of life in the middle of the garden. He was to be the center of the life of humanity, not detached. No wonder the scripture says in the book of Acts, it is in him we live, we move, we have our being. In the Old Testament, we call it the Old Testament because God made a covenant with Abraham and people think that the New Testament is a covenant of grace. The Old Testament is just as much. And Abraham was to took, take an animal and lay him out in pieces and he fell asleep. And when he woke up, the Bible says a light, God was walking in the middle of the pieces. Abraham never walked in it. It was a covenant of grace as much as when Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples fell asleep. He went alone, and so it was in the Old Testament. When God called Moses in the burning bush to lead the people of God, the Bible says that God was in the midst of the burning bush, in the middle. When they passed through the sea, the psalmist says that God was in the middle of the dry ground, guiding them through that. When Gideon defeated the armies of Midianite and Amalekites and the men from the east, they were all gathered, and it says that God was in the middle of the battle and turned it their way. When Samson, who had failed and he came back to God, and the last moments of his life, he went to the middle of a Philistine temple. And he asked God, one more time, let your spirit come upon him. And he was able to push those wooden columns off of the granite pillars that are about this tall. And the Bible says that he accomplished more upon his deathbed than his entire life combined. Why? God was in the middle with him. And when you look at King David and he approached Goliath, the Bible says he came to the middle of the battlefield. And the Bible says he said to Goliath, you come to me with a javelin and a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord your God, my God. And today I'm going to strike you down. And today I'm going to feed your body to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the field that all of the earth may know that there is a God in the middle of Israel. 
And the Bible says he ran and attacked him. When Solomon dedicated the temple, and today we dedicate this place, it says he came in the middle of the temple and he prayed. And when he prayed and they offered the sacrifice, fire came down and ignited the altar. When Daniel was thrown unjustly into the den of the lions, the Bible says God was in the midst of the den with him. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, the Bible says, Behold, there was one like the Son of God in the middle, in the ta'ek, in the middle. God likes to get right in the center of our lives, not on the fringes. And when you come to the New Testament, you're not going to find that old, that Hebrew word there, but you see the principle of Jesus of Nazareth. He comes into the center of all activity. I love one of his parables. And he says in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, he said there was a treasure found in a field. And it was so valuable that a man went and sold everything he had to buy that field. So great was the treasure. He said the kingdom of heaven is that way. And I have heard that passage preach that you should give all you have and follow Christ, and you could interpret it that way. But I want to give you a different way to think about it. Christ is saying, I find the treasure in you, and I'm giving everything I have for you to come into the middle of your field and find that treasure. What a glorious thing we find in him. When a storm arose in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, he comes out there and calms the storm and saves the life of his disciples. On Palm Sunday, the Bible says he came into the middle of Jerusalem. When Pontius Pilate ordered his death, he was crucified between or in the middle of two thieves. One believed and one did not. When he perished on that day, on Friday afternoon, the earth shook and the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies, the Bible says it tore from the top of the curtain in the middle of the curtain all the way down to the ground. Once and for all, the separation was broken and pulled back because of his life. And when you read the last chapter of Revelation, do you know what it says? There will be a river of life flowing through the middle of the garden. And in the middle of the garden will be the tree of life. And from Genesis to Revelation, God wants to be the middle of your life and the center of a courageous life that we have. I want to end this narrative with just a couple of stories. When I was pastoring in South Carolina... We had a couple that could not come to church. Their last name was Gilbert. I called them Brother Gilbert, Sister Gilbert. Those were the days you did that. And I would go serve after we had communion. I would take communion, you know, the next day, and I would go by their home and, and serve them communion. It was a big church, but I just, just fell in love with this older couple. And they had this cute little dog named VJ. He was a little, little tiny dog. 
And he would just sit there so reverently as I pray over the communion and serve them communion. Uh, it's the only time I was tempted to serve him communion, you know. Uh, and, and, and they just loved this dog. And in time, Mrs. Gilbert died. I did her funeral. And then all that Mr. Gilbert had was VJ. And I would still go serve him communion. And one day, I received an emergency phone call. Pastor, you have to go to the hospital. Mr. Gilbert's house burned to the ground, and he's severely burned. And so I went to the hospital, and I did not know what to expect. The doctor met me, tried to prepare me a little bit. And he said, Pastor, he said, um, he went back into the house. We don't know why he went into the house. And he's all bandaged up, but he's going to be okay. He's going to live. And I just want to prepare you. And so I go, go in. He looks almost like a mummy. And I sit down with him. And I didn't scold him. You don't scold an older man, of course, or anybody. But I, I said, Mr. Gilbert, why would you go back into the house? My, my tone of voice was like that. And he had these beautiful blue eyes. And through those bandages, they teared up. And he held out his hands. And he said, it was V.J., Pastor, VJ was in the house. I had to go back into the house to get VJ. And I'm happy to tell you, he saved that little old dog. <laughs> I think to myself, if my house was burning, what possession do I own that I would risk such burns? And I realize there is nothing and there is no something that I would risk such a burn. Only someone. And in the book of Zechariah, when the enemy came up against the high priest Joshua, not our Joshua at the battle of Jericho, a different man, and he's accusing him, and the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. For is this not a brand that has been plucked from the fire? God went into the middle of the house that was burning and pulled that man out. And that is such love and courage that even the evil one is rebuked and must flee in the presence of such love. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. I had two sweet daughters Never had to spank them a day in their life. Their mother did. But <laughs> I could just talk to them, spoil them, you know. But they're good girls. And then Ben came along. And if I had not spanked Ben once in a while, he'd have been the next Adolf Hitler. And he, he was a good kid. And then he went through, someone hurt him terribly. It was a terrible situation. And he, when people are hurting they either move in the right direction or wrong direction, and we've all done that, I'm sure. And he went in the wrong direction, and he, and he went to alcohol and did not know he was ter a terrible alcoholic. And he got hooked totally on heroin. And he was hopeless. And I'll never forget, my daughters were crying, the family was crying, Ben was crying, and, and they all had no hope. They didn't know, know what to do. And God dealt with me to pray for him, and I'd pray for him night and day. I'd get up during the night, and like Shema, I'd go into the middle of the field, 
and I would rebuke the enemy. You will not have my son. I held him in my hands the day he was born and dedicated him to the king of kings. He belongs to the king. And the Lord spoke to me so clearly at the worst moment of my son's life and said, this week I will deliver your son. And I told my son, he thought I'd lost my mind. I'm here to tell you, that week, God delivered my son from alcoholism and heroin. My son has never had alcohol or drugs since then. He went into the ministry, became a tremendous musician. He came to our church in Lakeland, Florida. We have over 3,000 in attendance at our church. And they hired him just to start on the team. And now they've promoted him to the senior music person at our church in music. He's met a beautiful woman, got married. I have two cute little grandkids from him. And uh, his life was transformed. I want you to know something. Don't ever be afraid to go into the middle of your life with courage. And if you're willing to do that, you will not be alone. For God will meet you with courage. On this day that we dedicate these beautiful facilities, and Dana, I have to tell you, on a personal friendship level, I am so proud of you and your wife and Josh and all of you, the team, every one of you leaders. I am so proud of you because you went in the middle and took great courage and sacrifice to do what you've done. And I want you to stand, and I want to pray a blessing if you do not mind. I know some of you are a guest today. My, my daughter, uh, st- uh, sister-in-law is here today. She's a guest. My wife and I are guests. But we want to pray a blessing over you. I want to ask you if it would be too much trouble. I know even for the visitors, w- would it be okay if we just do, would you humor me for just one minute? As many of you as you can, can you just press down right here and let me just step back for a moment. Just come on, just even as a guest, it'll be very well in order as we pray a blessing. And we're going to pray a blessing over your household. Many of you are facing situations where you say, yeah, I've got a battle right here. I just need God to do what I cannot do. How many of you have ever had a situation where it, you just did not know what to do in that situation. That's why the Bible says, finally, having done all you can do, stand. Stand, therefore. Stand there in the middle of your life. You only live one time to live courageously. And perhaps God has knit you to this location location. I hope he has. If he hasn't, we bless you regardless. If you're a guest, you are our guest. But if he knits you here, that God would do a great thing corporately as well. And it may not be your tradition, but I want you just to close your eyes. And if the Lord leads you just to lift your hand, I want to pray a blessing over your family first. Vanessa, do you mind just coming up here with me, baby, and just hold my hand? And, I, and Pastor, do you mind just coming up as well? And Josh, do you mind just coming over as well, too? So we just want to pray a blessing over them. Hallelujah. 
Dustin, would you like to pray over them? Yeah, okay. And Father, we lift up these men and women. First for our guests that are visiting with us today on this day of dedication. May you bless them and their church and their family that is represented here today. And for those that are a part of this congregation, Lord, may you also bless them. And the individual needs that they are facing, whether it is a child or a grandchild or a marriage or finances or their health, may the God who brings victory meet them in the middle of that situation and bring powerful, miraculous signs and wonders. And Lord, today, we dedicate these grounds and ourselves to this community. We thank you for the leaders of this community who have worked with this congregation. May this be a light in the darkness, healing to the sick, hope to the hopeless, deliverance to those who are bound. For you came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captives free. And may this be a place of integrity, godliness, moral character. May the angels of God guard these families in this place. And may the presence of God be in this house. May the supernatural be in this church. Financial blessings upon your people and hope and upon their families. And everyone said, amen, amen. Can we give God praise today? Can we give one more round of applause this morning for this incredible couple? I want to thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Such an incredible word. And um, I just want to open it up this morning. You can, if you want to start heading back to your seat, you can. But I want to say, um, when you shared about going into the middle, I, I wanted to give the opportunity this morning. If you're somebody who wants the time to really seek the Lord, that he would come into the middle of your situation and you identify with that, we're going to take a second and just worship the Lord together and to allow for that space. So uh, if you want to find your seat, you can. If not, uh, you can stay right here and just seek the Lord. The altar's open. But can we take a second and can we, uh, can we lift up the Lord for our worship this morning?
continue playing, but I want to say this is your official dismissal this morning. Have a great and awesome day. As you head out, would you take that connection card that Gianna mentioned earlier and your offering and drop that in the buckets to one of our ushers who will be in the back and uh, they'll receive that and we will love to see you next week. We have a very special Sunday next week as well. Uh, if you're interested in being baptized, seriously, mark on the connection card or let one of us know. We'd love to celebrate that with you next week. So have a blessed day. We'll see you again soon. You're welcome to stay as we worship as well.